Great, Alan, thank you very much for leading us in prayer and Ruby for reading so beautifully uh, to us there. Um, as I mentioned, the bookstore is going to be um, operating at the end of the service. Grab a coffee or tea. Please do stay with us. And um, there'll be one or two books there on prayer, among other things. Richard Foster has written uh, uh, a number of books, a, a kind of uh, his, his magnus opus on, on prayer. And uh, this one goes alongside it. He's he edited it. I don't think this is on the bookstore, but uh, I'll be referring to it. Devotional Classics. And it's just a collection of all the different styles and patterns of prayer by great uh, warriors of prayer down the ages. The, the, sort of, uh, the snapshots, if you like, of uh, these great spiritual masters. We can learn from um, the way in which they sought God in prayer. So Devotional Classics. And just ahead of what I want to speak about a bit today, um, this book by Pablo Martinez who um, has headed up uh, the equivalent of UCCF in, in Spain and is also a trained psychiatrist. And he's written um, this book, Prayer Life, How Your Personality Affects the Way You Pray. Uh, I guess many of us may have felt slightly straight-jacketed by uh, what we perceive to be uh, you know, the model of prayer presented by someone else who's just made by God to be different from us. And the model they present, I, I personally was inhibited for quite some time by the quiet time. Because I, I, I kind of have extrovert tendencies. And so the thought of actually being still and being quiet is quite a discipline for me. It's not something I should shirk, but it's nevertheless. There are times when I just want to be noisy with God. And it seemed to me the quiet time, which was a model that was placed on me, didn't allow me to do that. And uh, so I found, I mean, I, other people helped me, and I came to this book late. But I recommend this book if you're seeking to find uh, ways and patterns of prayer that resonate with how God has made you so that your relationship can be real with him. So I plug those two books um, and commend others that are on the, the bookshelf, the bookstall. Um, as we have Psalm 139 open in front of us, let's uh, pray and ask God to open his word to us. Father, simply that, that as we uh, alight on your word, by your spirit, you would feed us, nurture us, guide and shape us into the people you're calling us to be. We know you are good and you have good things for your children. Father, we are here now. We want to receive. Speak to us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just to help you with where we are, I, this, today I hope I'm kind of wrapping up a few loose ends, as it were, in the, in the kind of preparation process for prayer. We've been, uh, there's a definition of prayer, which is now on the website, um, access to the Father through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. It's relationship with God, it's knowing Him in our lives, it, joining our lives to His great salvation plan. We've looked at um, the preparation to prayer and, and some of the stumbling blocks and I want to just look at one more in, in a moment um, before we look at the stepping stones, how we can release ourselves into greater and more effective prayer. And that means that next week onwards, um, I'm wanting to get back into the Lord's Prayer as a template. I'm not, I'm not sure the Lord meant us to necessarily to pray as we, we do, sort of parrot fashion. Uh, more, he offered us a template, um, a springboard for our own prayer life with God. And we'll investigate some of the themes contained in the Lord's Prayer over the coming weeks. Prayer is key to life. But to answer the question, can I live without prayer? Is it possible for us to live without praying? And the answer on one level, because 
I guess we'd know, wouldn't we, from our own experience, I'd certainly confess from mine, is absolutely yes. We can live without prayer. But as C.S. Lewis uh, remarks in one of his, I think one of the greatest essays, of, of the essays he wrote, The Weight of Glory, uh, talking about this, this sense of God's presence down on us whenever we, we look around, wherever we live. And he says, he laments, that we, we content ourselves with too little. He says we're like little children playing on the muddy streets of a slum when just over the hill are the golden sands of a glorious beach. And we're content with little mud pies when we could make great sandcastles. Yes, we can bumble through life. We can keep ourselves alive physically and intellectually, uh, alive in that sense. But is that real life when we've had a taste of who God is and of what he's done for us? So in another sense, we cannot truly live without the practice and the discipline and the privilege of prayer. Prayer is like breathing. And breathing is the way in which, as uh, human beings, we take oxygen into our bodies. But that's, that's not it. We need oxygen to live, but it's, there's the whole process of respiration. It's the first R of Mrs. Gren. Uh, for those of you who are with us at long term, you'll, you'll understand what that means. Um, if you don't understand what that means, I do apologize. Come and see me afterwards. I'd love to explain. Respiration. That's the whole process which incorporates breathing. And respiration is the process by which the oxygen that's taken into our bodies is transformed in every single cell of our bodies into the energy that we need for life. Uh, I'm told by the biologists that it's mitochondria, tiny little things in each cell, that, that take the oxygen and transform it into energy that enables us to live and work and have our being. Prayer is like those mitochondria. It's, it's the powerhouse. Prayer is what energizes the life of God in us. It's that that draws us into a knowledge and an awareness of his presence. It's that which helps us recognize what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, in paving the way for us to call God Father and to know the reality of being his children. Now, we've looked at a, a stumbling block, this idea that God may not be willing to answer our prayers. He's, he's like the busy judge. Um, I was speaking on this uh, last week in the evening. And again, that's, uh, that sermon is on the website if you want to catch up with that. Uh, the widow and the unjust judge. And uh, we tend to think maybe that God is like this busy judge, far too important for us. So, you know, who are we to go bothering him? But no, God loves and delights. Just as the judge eventually hears the widow's plea, how much more will our Father in heaven? He delights. But maybe linked to that idea that God is not willing, we sometimes have this idea that we are not worthy. And in one sense, I want to say that's, that's healthy. That's why as a discipline, when we meet together corporately, we, we set aside time for public confession, corporate confession. Regardless of whether we kind of maybe feel like that or not, it's a discipline for us just to pause and say, yeah, actually... I know there are ways where I'm hiding myself from God. I know there are ways where I'm shrinking back from him. I want to confess that. I want to lay down the barriers, lay down the facades, in order that there's open and real relationship with God. I confess ways in which, through sin, I'm hiding 
And in that sinful state, if you like, we can be tempted to feel unworthy. Who am I in the presence of this holy God? But we need to recognize, too, that God has done something about that unworthiness on our behalf. We're not able to do it in our own strength. So he, while we were still sinners, Paul writes, Christ died for us. He paid the price of sin. He's robbed the power. He's stolen the final act of Satan. He's smashed the power of death, the ultimate consequence of sin. And so when we look at Christ, there is no longer any need in Christ to feel unworthy. And we can begin to exercise a right view of God again. That's why this psalm is sometimes troubling, I think, and yet such an encouragement. I wonder whether, in a sort of latent sense, an undealt sense of unworthiness, whether we, we, we picture God in the reading of this psalm as, uh, as that kind of unscrupulous headmaster who seems to be just a foot above everyone else and can see exactly what's going on. Do you, it was about 20 years ago now, the film Clockwise with John Cleese. Do you, do you remember that? When he was this headmaster and his study was on the top floor and it, it was arranged so that it, basically the windows were like a watchtower of, a, of an airport, um, you know, airport tower. And he had these binoculars. And all the time he just was there with the binoculars scouring the playground. And he'd see some little miscreant you know, taking place, someone doing something wrong. And uh, so he'd get this tannoy, press the button, and he'd say, Jenkins, behind the pillar, I can see you, 5.20. And, and 5.20 was when they all had to come and report. And then sort of the next scene, you, know, the, you see the clock click to 5.20, and it, the camera pans away, and there's a whole long line. Virtually half the school are lined up outside the, the headmaster's study. And I wonder if, if we're honest, we... we, we tend to view God a bit like that. He's up there in heaven with his great divine binoculars and he's, well, let's read. Look, verse 1, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. It's not just my actions. You know my thoughts. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Look, verse 7, I'm trying to get away, but where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I want, as it were, a crafty little fag in the, behind the bike sheds just for five minutes. But no, I can't run away. You're there. Oh. There's that sense of sort of restriction and bondage. I don't know, is that something that you're tempted to feel is what this psalm is all about. Last Sunday evening, I played a video clip. You can download it, if you'd like, from um, the YouTube uh, set of video clips. It's of uh, a man called Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick, who was born uh, severely disabled. He has no control over his limbs or anything at all. And the doctors said to Dick, the father, your son, Rick, uh, is basically good for nothing. He, I mean, you might as well just put him in an institution. But Dick knew that wasn't true. The father's heart for a son... Uh, but this boy couldn't speak or anything. When he was aged 11, they took him to some kind of um, uh, technological place. They said, is there any way in which we can work out what's going on in his head? And they basically said, forget it. So there's, there's nothing going on in this boy's head. He, you know, there's, there's nothing going on in his brain. But eventually they discovered this device where uh, Rick, the son, could, 
could sort of, by moving his head, he could tap out a message on a computer screen. And the very first thing he tapped out was, go, brains. Which confirmed what his father knew. There was life in that boy. There was activity in that brain. Told him a joke. And Rick laughed. And a few days later, there was an event at school, a kind of fun run to raise some money for a kid who was in in trouble, not well. And uh, Rick tapped out on the machine, Dad, I'd like to do that. Now, Dick, at the time, was a self-confessed porker. He was a you know, big guy. And there was no way he was going to... I think it was a five-mile run. He said, there was no way he was going to run that. But he thought, if my son would like to do that, let's do that. And so he trained for it, and they ran. Uh, Dick says afterwards, now I knew who the handicapped one was. <laughs> he was. He was aching for two weeks. But Rick tapped out on the screen after that. He said, Dad, when, when we ran that race, I didn't feel like I was handicapped in this chair. I felt like I was flying. And that changed Dick's whole perspective. And this, this website is extraordinary. Um, they've now run together over, I think it's over 100 marathons and over 200 triathlons. Dick thought, well, let's, if it's a five-mile race, let's do six miles, let's do ten miles. They ran the first marathon, I think, in 1982 or something, and they've, they've done hundreds since. Someone then said, try, try a triathlon. Not content with hundreds of triathlons, that's, that's swimming. What he does is he, he's got a special seat in a dinghy, and he swims with a harness on, towing Rick in the water. He's then constructed a special seat on the front of his bike. So it's like a, you know, a, a, a kind of um, yeah, padded wheelchair seat. And um, he cycles Rick along the distance, and then he pushes him in a buggy. Um, he's done five Ironmans. An Ironman is a three-mile swim, followed by a 120-mile bike, followed by a marathon, 26-mile run. Rick says he is the father of the century. Now, here's, here's the point. Just in removing this stumbling block of, of I'm not worthy, Rick, the son, the paralyzed one, he cannot do a thing for his father He can't do anything. He just sits there. His father, in recognizing what blesses his son, in a sense, does it all. So that he can live free, feel like he's flying, no longer handicapped. The secret to prayer is understanding that it's not premised on what I do. It's joining myself to what he's doing. It's joining myself to the one who created and continues to sustain the universe and longs for us to join in, that we might know how freeing it is to live his life. When we know how much the Father longs for us and delights in us and wants us to live his life to the full here on earth, then we'll say, won't we, how precious are your thoughts to me? Think of it with Rick for a moment as he lies there immobilized in his chair and he sees that his dad is off training, maybe swimming up and down a pool or cycling round and round or off on yet another run. And Rick says to himself, what is my dad thinking? Why is my dad running and swimming all that while? And it occurs to him that his dad is doing all that for him. How precious are your thoughts to me? Where can I go from your 
presence. Where can I go from your activity for me? If, if, if I go over here, you're there. You're towing me in the street. If I go over there, you're pushing me on the bike. If I go, you are doing all of this for me. Yes, in one sense, we're not worthy. In one sense, Rick's not worthy of his father's love. Love isn't something that we earn. It's a gift that we receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, just, just restrict down to nothing, but should have eternal life. And we can taste that now. We can begin to live that now as we exercise the privilege and the discipline of prayer. Pause button. Um, can I just say, the, Alan mentioned in the, um, in the uh, prayers there, the PCC day, we, we met as a PCC yesterday to kind of strategize. Um, now, usually, when you look it up in guidebooks and church books and so on, and you look up a definition of the PCC, you see there the definition is a gathering of people waiting to go home. <laughs> but yesterday, I, I, two or three people, a couple have emailed me, and uh, someone said, in fact, I inherit it you don't mind me saying, but as we were going out, I said, that was so exciting. And, and it was. I, sat, I was reflecting, when have I ever sat on a PCC where someone at the end of the meeting said, that was so exciting. But it was true. And the reason why it was exciting wasn't anything to do with us. Actually, it really was the, the hand of the Lord on us as we began to sort of think and plan and pray. And it, it was clear to every single one of us who were there that the Lord is just wanting us for this season, for this time, to, to focus on prayer. Um, uh, uh, do, it's, it's fortunate that we've got this series on prayer and there are one or two initiatives that we're wanting as a PCC to um, engage with the congregation here and roll out in terms of prayer but I, I just want to state that I, just a, an extraordinary privilege of God um, blowing us along in his ways and, uh, and encouraging and inspiring us I want to just uh, finish by three quick points on how we can begin to prepare to pray, the stepping stones to prayer, if we've removed the stumbling blocks. Um, will you turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, page 1112, page 1112. God is willing and we are worth it in Christ. He's done everything so that we may pray on all occasions. Let's just read what Paul says here towards the end of his uh, letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 18. just want to read this um, one verse, really, and to see what we can draw from it. And pray in the Spirit, Paul says, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. How can we pray effectively? Three brief headings. First of all, pray in the Spirit in order that we may stay alert. We stay alert by being in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. What does that mean, praying in the Spirit? I think the difference, and I want to pick up on an analogy that I've used um, in the Inside Out teaching, and the, those talks are on the website if you missed them but would like to catch up on them. 
It's an analogy uh, which sums up the difference between getting across a lake or across uh, a sea or wherever it might be by boat, sailing boat, dinghy, as opposed to rowing boat. A rowing boat and a sailing boat can get across a stretch of water um, and reach the same destination, but they do it in entirely different ways. A rowing boat, you basically, you're using all your own effort. I read, um, I read Matthew Pinson's autobiography. Matthew Pinson, who got those three or four gold medals over uh, a series of Olympics, an amazing rower. And I read his autobiography. It's, it's one of the most boring books, if I'm honest. <laughs> I mean, he's an extraordinary guy. But, you know, what is there to talk about, frankly? You, you get in the boat and you, you just row. <laughs> um, and when you're not rowing, you're sleeping or eating enough food to give you the energy to row again. In preparation for a race, what do you do? All you do is you, you just check your things over and over again in a, you know, in a slightly sort of deranged way. Have I checked all the screws and the nuts and the bolts? Have I got the right drink? Is my kit all right? Is the all okay? And when the race goes, you don't think, you're not still thinking, oh, I wonder what's on telly today. You know, you, you don't, in the, particularly in the race, you are just zoned. You zone everything out. You are focused. You're, you're kind of, it's kind of shut down in order to do what you've got to do. How different from sailing? The sailor is alive, is alert. The sailor knows that at any one moment, the wind on which he or she relies could change slightly, maybe alter direction or change in strength. If a sailor is committed to leaning out on the boat and the wind suddenly drops, he'd better react quickly or he's in the water. Or if it changes direction and he's to maximize the wind that is propelling him, the wind that is his energy, he needs to change the sail or, or adjust the tiller or just pull on the sheets. There are all sorts of different things, adjustments that the sailor is making at any one moment as he's alive and alert to the wind. He's looking ahead to see the ripples of the water, to see the wind across the water, to anticipate its coming so that he's ready for a gust. Praying in the spirit is like sailing a dinghy boat. It's constantly being alive and alert, recognizing God, and then being willing to respond. Praying in the Spirit. Secondly, praying on all occasions, Paul says. Praying on all occasions. The thing is, life is just so busy. I mean, we, we, we use this phrase, don't we, 24-7. And we understand that now to mean that just everything is so full on. It's one thing after another. There's so much to do at work. Oh, my goodness. And then I come home, and at home, there's all sorts of things, and I want time for my relationships, and I want time for my hobbies, and time for just me. And now, time to pray? You ever felt like that? And so we don't start. We think, well, I, you know, I want to start well, and I, but I can't even see to begin. Where, where am I going to find just five minutes to pray? So we... We tend not to start at all. We go days or weeks or months without consciously praying. If you feel like that, you're not alone. Brother Lawrence was a 17th century servant of the servants of God, he called himself. He worked in a monastery as the kind of, um, just the, the kind of cleaner and help about the monastery, releasing the monks to get on with what they were doing. And for years, he agonized over this, oh, God, if you'd I complain, God, I, you know, if I didn't have to do all these things, I'd have more time to pray to you myself. Actually, the penny dropped for him on one occasion when I think he was complaining about a cake that he had to bake. God, I've got to bake this cake. And, and just for the first time in, in years, God broke through 
and simply said to Brother Lawrence, why don't you ask me to come and bake the cake with you? And it just turned his thinking. He looked at the pile of potatoes that needed washing and peeling, and instead of yet another chore that's getting in the way of him being with God, ah. and so as he cleaned the potato, he thought, actually... This is a bit like what God has done for me in Christ. He's washed away my sin. So that instead of a muddy potato, I'm gleaming white and pure. That step that I've got to clean by the front door, that's not another 10 or 15 minutes time uh, taken when I could be with God. No, it's an opportunity. And as I scrub that step clean, I could pray for every single person who will walk into this monastery and ask that God would meet them in a special or new way. And for every person who walks out of this monastery, over this step, I can pray for safety in their journey and that they be reunited with family or whatever it might be. Brother Lawrence, he stands in the tradition of others, but perhaps he's most famously known as the one who practiced the presence of God. The practice of the presence of God. Richard Murray, sorry, Andrew Murray, has written it up in, uh, in a book. Here's just one little tip in the practice of the presence of God. If you must attend to any unpleasant business or if physical handicap inhibits your business ventures, do not be uneasy about it. If your business is within the Lord's will, say to God, I will be about your business and with your help, I'll perform it well. There was no task that was too mundane or too ordinary for Brother Lawrence. He delighted in finding ways of inviting God into his day and of allowing his day to be taken up in the schemes of God. Every single one of us could be 21st century Brother Lawrence's. We can pray on all occasions. In the shower in the morning, Lord, thank you that you have washed me clean. I'm pure in your sight because of Jesus. As we're shaving, you know, well, I'm just, just half of us here, right? Now, but go with me for a minute, ladies. You know, you're shaving away, and then you just, have I missed, have I missed a bit? Oh, yeah. And that kind of inspection, you know, am I presentable? Search me, O Lord. Is there any unclean way in me? If I'm that meticulous with my appearance on the outside, can I not at the same time be as meticulous with how I am on the inside? Every time the phone rings, let it ring for an extra tone or two. Lord, give me wisdom as I speak to this person. May I be good news to them. Amen. Hello? Oh, the children. If I just had more time, the children are just everywhere. Well, what a gift you have. There are plenty of people who would love to have children. You have children, I know they tire us out from time to time, but Lord, thank you for the energy that they have. You've got more energy than them and us put together. Can I have some more energy to deal with them right now? Amen. Spreadsheets. Oh, I've got another spreadsheet. Well, can you use that as an opportunity to pray? Ask God to give you the imagination. Pray on all occasions. Finally, praying for all the saints. Praying for all the saints. That's all the people who've gone before, Christian people, as well as those round about us now. And here's my confession. I find I so quickly run out of things to pray. I have the best intention as I think I'm, you know, I'm going to pray for the, for the PCC. Fantastic. I'm going to pray for them. And, oh, not quite sure. I, I, I sort of run out of inspiration. I run out of ideas and, and I, I kind of get down at how poor I seem to be at sustaining prayer for other people. Here is something that someone offered me. Can we have that second? Uh, Here we are. How to pray for God to bless others. It's taking the word bless. 
and to pray, first of all, for their body, their health, just that God would, would keep them healthy and strong and fit. To pray, secondly, for their labor or anything that uh, they give their hand to. What are they involved in, either voluntary or in paid capacity? To pray, E, for their emotional health, just their kind of well-being, that they would be free from stress or anger, uh, that they would know joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, blessing their emotions. And the two S's, firstly, social, friends, family, the people that they come into contact with, that they will be well-resourced, loved, cared for, as they can love and care for others. And finally, spiritually, specifically for their relationship with God through Christ. Now, I, I use that quite often as a little template. And I've found that it's transformed my prayer for other people from sort of five seconds before I've run dry to about five minutes. Sort of about a minute on each. I can get out. There's no more than that. Don't, I'm no great spiritual giant here. I'm still learning. But I've, I've just, that's been such a help in extending the way in which I can pray for individuals or families or whoever it might be. Asking God to bless. So that we can pray in the Spirit on all occasions for all people and be found to be a people rich in the privilege and the resource of prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's just have a moment of quiet. The um, musicians are going to come up. I'm going to sing our final song, a testament to God's faithfulness. But as they come, let's just spend a moment or two. Kind of reviewing our understanding of God. The Father who delights in us. Who's done so much in order that we might live free, like Dick with his son Rick. Maybe it's just to pause there and to receive that, that sort of fresh image. To dare to ask God for his thoughts so that you might know how precious they are. To delight in the fact that he's with you as you go to work tomorrow morning. He's there. You might feel you're sinking to the depths. He's there. You rise to the heights. He's there too. Perhaps ask for the Spirit's help and guidance to, to live as a brother Lawrence. To weave whatever the day brings into your relationship with God. To rejoice in the mundane and the ordinary. Because he is there also. Father, we want to be people who not only live, but live with life in all its fullness. Your power at work in us. And so, Father, as the disciples to Jesus, so us now. Lord, teach us to pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.